Welcome back to The Zombie Coder, where we believe less is more, worse is better, and features should have purpose. This is once again the lead undead software engineer, Andrew, speaking from a small family homestead in the Midwest. And today I'm currently browsing the internet using, surprisingly enough, Edge for Linux. Can you believe it? Microsoft has actually ported Edge over to the Linux ecosystem. It seems to run just fine. The only thing I will note is I don't really see a reason to use it over Chrome. It seems basically to be, well, exactly like Chrome uh, for the most part, and I don't see it replacing my use of Firefox these days. Now, this episode might be a little bit interesting in that the foster kittens that we have inside the homestead are especially rambunctious. So if you're hearing things in the background, it is more than likely them. They are pretty crazy this morning. Again, I am coming from far too early to be awake, at least for me, and hoping that this coffee that I am currently sipping will be enough to actually get me through the day. It's been quite the week for people in the computer science world. If you've been watching the news, you might have noticed that Google is currently under investigation or being sued by the Department of Justice. This is probably more of a political stunt due to the current election environment. But for those of us that have been paying attention to Google and its lack of the do-no-evil moniker, It seems to be long time coming, at least in my opinion. I don't necessarily like the idea of the government getting involved for this sort of thing, but at the same point in time, I think Google has been, well, they've been a little bit of a bully lately. Now, this particular episode is going to be titled Hope for the Second Hump, and well, why am I saying that? What exactly is the second hump, and why should... Uh, we be trying to encourage it. It is the group of students that are the second hump in a bimodal distribution of class grades. A bimodal distribution is, of course, a distribution in which you have two distinct groups. Uh, generally, in classes that have a bimodal grade distribution, If you look at the net grade distribution, it will be uh, a little bit of a lopsided normal curve, especially if the two humps of the bimodal distribution are close together. The important thing to realize, however, in a bimodal distribution of grades is that you have two primary groups of students, those that are getting the subject and those that are on their way toward failure. If you are in academia currently or you're a professional that is dealing with college students, you might happen to know that this time of year is that wonderful time where midterm results start coming back and semester grades start finalizing. And it's an especially difficult time for those freshmen that are first semester folk thinking about their major and maybe at this point reevaluating their life choices. Indeed, this is the period of time in which you see a great number of students drop. And if you're looking at like a calculus class, this would generally be the time that the class size would half, at least in schools who claim to not have, uh, what's the phrase these days? They claim to not have weed out classes. Oh yeah, that's it. 
Um, but in reality, they do always. I had a fairly good friend, actually, a very talented developer, end up dropping out of college due specifically to a weed-out calculus class. Um, I don't know if you hear it in the background, but there's a kid in going. Anyway, yeah, this uh, character, he was a very talented developer, and he ended up dropping out just due to the brutality of calculus. It was uh, a class, at least in my university, that had a reputation for being the end of a great many potential programming careers. The purpose of this podcast, as I've said before, is to encourage new developers and help keep older developers, um, us old folk in the industry, help keep our skills sharp. In the effort of encouraging new developers, I really want to focus this week on the second humpers. There was a paper written a while back ago, which this podcast in particular is referencing, called The Camel Has Two Humps. This paper basically posited that computer science in particular is a subject matter in which you either have it or you don't. If you do not have it, you are not going to ever get it, and indeed, you should just drop out and make peace with that. Well... That is not my personal philosophy, and it is one that I viscerally disagree with. Well, do I have any support for that sort of uh, viewpoint? Well, I think I do, at least anecdotally. In a previous life, I worked at a disability services office as a math tutor, and mathematics is one of those subjects that people also have the you-got-it-or-you-don't mentality. While we did not have a perfect track record in the disability services office for getting students through mathematics, we were also working with a large range of disabilities, up to and including traumatic brain injuries, the sort of accident you might see in a car or motorcycle accident where somebody had actual physical damage done uh, to their brain. Now, chances are, if you're listening to this podcast, you have not been the victim of such an accident. And indeed, even if you have, the brain has some remarkable ability to recover over time, and those skills can come back. In any case, the point I took from this challenging environment was that the success rate for students had a lot more to do with the students' general desire to learn and the effort they put in than really any sort of innate ability. Indeed, some of the most successful students that actually learned to love math, surprisingly enough, happened with students that came in uh, on the first day and just informed me that they were bad at math and would never learn it. Over time, I never really saw a have-it-or-not binary of students. It really seemed to be more of a scale, and a scale that could be overcome with a student putting in effort. In any case, the subject of students with potential learning differences coming into an understanding of math is not the subject of this podcast. The subject of this podcast is normal people that are going through the university system and starting to have doubts as to whether or not they should indeed seek a career as a programmer or coder. Well, what can we say about this The Camel Has Two Humps study that was done? 
Well, first of all, the study was never actually formally published, and indeed, after a little while, it came out that the original paper was written in something of a drug-induced mania uh, from the uh, rather depressed author uh, who was going through some personal crisis at the time. Well, the study has since been retracted, and if we look at comments in the industry, uh, one of the more interesting people to comment on the study is Alan Kay. Now, he related this subject back to a test setup done by IBM back when he was in the military or the Air Force, and they were attempting to classify people as being able to code or not. And his comments on that particular test or study as far as classification was, and I'm quoting here, I posit that the IBM test most likely excluded many potential programmers and especially many potential designers. So we see that even amongst experts, this idea of classifying people as being ready or not ready to program is a difficult subject and attempting to classify people at times will result in, of course, false positives and false negatives. So if we're looking at a bimodal distribution of grades, can we really say that we're classifying students as either qualified or not qualified for a computer science or programming career? Indeed, my argument from here out is going to be that the bimodal distribution is more a symptom of, well, poor educational technique. One of the more frustrating items for me as somebody that has a background in formal education or formal training in education is that the vast majority of university professors, despite being in teaching roles, do not have that background. And why is that? Well, a professor's primary job is not teaching, it is research. And if you're a cynic like I am, you might say that their primary job is to bring in that sweet, sweet, sweet grant money. There are very limited requirements for subject pedagogy or what we would call epistemology. If you're you know, familiar with philosophical uh, modes of thought, there's not necessarily a requirement that university professors have a deep background in how people learn or how knowledge is transmitted. Now, in order to become a university professor, you will generally be required to become an RA or a TA. And at that point in time, you will learn on the job what it is to actually stand in front of a classroom and lecture. And if you are fortunate, you might have a university professor that is a good mentor or somebody that is good at helping develop that skill. But a great many TAs, in my experience, are, well, crap at it. I have dealt with more than one class where the university professor simply relegated the day-to-day -day working of the class to the TA, and every now and then they would pop in and give a lecture or two, which may or may not have been good. A few of my favorite professors were actually really awesome lecturers, but they never wanted to lecture. So yeah, it's a lot of on-the-job training as far as university professors go and what they do day-to-day -day as far as lecturing. And high school teachers? Well, honestly, they're the same but worse. My experience with high school teachers, intellectually, they know that what they're doing is bad, but they don't know how to get out of it. It's like this weird self 
replicating loop where the actual system itself and the expectations of teachers just reinforces how classes are taught or, well, not taught. The good teachers, the good high school teachers, figure out a way to work in their knowledge of cognitive development and training. They work that into the class somehow in a manner that is, well, it facilitates learning. And those are the teachers that you might remember as being those just really awesome teachers. I think for whatever reason, that seems to be just a lot of physics teachers. Maybe it's just the subject matter itself lends itself to more entertaining uh, demonstrations and whatnot. But going back to this kind of idea of how we train students and how we actually encourage knowledge, a large amount of what we see as knowledge in the college system and the high school system is speed of coming up with an answer. And that, to me, is bullshit. The idea that we need to have quick answers for every random question or memorized uh, facts is not something the industry generally needs. The industry needs problem solvers, people that have the skill of insight and synthesis. Quality matters for quality organizations. And if you're working in an environment where quality doesn't matter, well, I'd encourage you to try to find one that does. You want to escape the code factory. If you're one of the experienced people and nodding your head now, if, especially if you are in that environment, please do your best to escape it. I have been there before, and I'm a lot happier that I'm not in one now. So let's talk about what happens to put people in that second hump of a bimodal distribution. And to start off with that, I'd like to actually discuss uh, some of the concepts of educational psychology and discuss what is called uh, constructivism. Now, constructivism is this idea that you must integrate knowledge into whatever internal system that you already have. So your brain or your thought process already has set up a number of internal what we'd call schemas or maybe cognitive structures. And when you learn something, it is the process of integrating that new knowledge into those cognitive structures. And a lot of people that are in the second hump of that bimodal distribution we discussed are, in my mind, simply people that do not have prerequisite schemas. Or another way of saying that is they have gone into a class where there is some lacking prior knowledge or ability, and it is not that they do not have the talent to do the job, it is simply that they need to look at what I would term as a prerequisite. There's just not a prerequisite class. It is a prerequisite or, or background piece of information they need. And what would I term those as? Well, I think the number one thing that I saw actually hurt people was comfort with computers. If you are not comfortable with a computer, I think you're going to look at the computer as this foreign object, this kind of adversarial relationship that you're going to have with it. And comfort with computers could honestly be something as basic as typing speed. Can you actually sit and type quickly? A lot of programming, in my mind, at times, has really come down to just being a good typist. And that is really this idea of just getting the knowledge out of my head, into my hands, and on the keyboard so that it's on the page. And another kind of area of that comfort with computers 
is really just basic computer literacy. Think back in the 90s and 2000s, if you came into university with a love of computers, the era of computing at the time forced you to have some basic skills in terms of things like knowledge of file systems and directories and file organization and, well, how the operating system worked and kind of all this really underlying stuff just because computers were not as advanced. If you look at your cell phone, for example, it might not even seem like you have programs on it. Like you discuss apps. What is an app and how does it work and how does a phone know how to find that app out of that menu and start it up and what's the process there? That's all stuff that you don't necessarily have to know with modern day computing. So kind of the second area uh, I would say is missing for people is comfort with mathematics. And to quote a lot of students, you do not need to be good at math. Really, you just need to be comfortable with making an effort at it. I think one of the ways to look at this is just to make peace with what you're bad at. If you, well, if you think you're bad at it, and I would actually argue as somebody that taught a lot of math students, if you think you're bad at something, you can become good at it uh, with give enough time and effort. But the reality is lots of programmers barely pass calculus. Indeed, one of the phenomena that I would see as a person teaching this uh, subject is that, funny enough, a lot of people that would barely pass calculus would actually be pretty good at linear algebra or some of the discrete mathematics associated with computing. And if that is you, I would encourage you to look at math symbols as something of a shorthand notation and try to get away from more analytical thinking. Numeric answers are king in computer science. Since we can do all these calculations and approximations very quickly, we often will care more that we can get to an approximate answer than attempting to solve an equation for an analytical solution, especially when you're dealing with differential equations or some of the more advanced uh, mathematics subjects. That goes especially true when you start looking at uh, matrix manipulation. Uh, those areas of math that maybe you looked at as kind of a, wow, this is tough. The nice thing about a computer is it is good at that. It is good at those very difficult calculations. Indeed, I think a lot of people that feel they're bad at math, that goes back to this idea of speed and really the fact that you don't have to be fast at mathematic calculations. You don't have to do long division or multiplication or be able to make change in your head very quickly because the computer can do that. You are basically working with a big calculator, and if you're good with a calculator, then you're good at math all of a sudden, which is one of the things that I like about computer science. And the last item that I would say is lacking for people going into computer science that can indeed be developed is this idea of abstract thinking. If you're struggling with that particular area, you can look at numerous ways to improve this particular skill. Uh, reading uh, fiction, for example, is a good way, especially if you're reading fiction and thinking about all the grandiose problems in uh, fantasy or uh, science fiction or mystery novel or any real given fiction that engages your brain, playing with puzzles, physical puzzles, um, doing crosswords, Sudoku. Uh, those are good ways to encourage this. Even something like computer games, as an example, Portal, that is a 
area in which you start getting into the realm of some degree of abstract thinking. Really, just anything where you're engaging your brain and attempting to think about thinking or attempting to problem solve. So as an experienced engineer or an educator, am I saying that I think playing video games and reading fiction can improve somebody's ability to program or at least synthesize programming knowledge? And, well, yes, I actually am. Now, I will add the caveat here that uh, that kind of makes the assumption that you're actually putting in the work as far as your course load goes and homework and all that stuff. Also, I'm not saying that uh, those particular activities are in and of themselves the only way to go about advancing yourself. In general, any hobby or any uh, intellectual activity that you engage in can help your learning experience. And that is sort of the basis of uh, some of the educational theory that I was discussing. The important part as far as uh, learning goes is to actually find the existing foundations that you can integrate that knowledge into. And it doesn't matter what activity you chase. So kind of a takeaway here is if you find yourself in a computer science or really any educational environment where you're having difficulty synthesizing information, it might be time to take a step back and ask yourself why. Now, I've identified three kind of areas that I see as uh, problem spots for incoming students, but it's very possible that your problem spot does not fall into one of those areas. And in that case, you need to identify where your discomfort is and see if you can find a way to make that area more interesting to you or to shore that area up before you continue on your learning adventure. That at least was the approach I took when I was working with math students, and in my experience, it was extremely effective. You often had students coming in that had their personal hobbies, and in some ways, especially with math, it's often surprising the number of applied scenarios that they would be using algebra in and not even realize it. So if you find yourself in the uh, second camel's hump, so to speak, uh, there's a few things to take away, I hope, from this podcast. The first is to realize that the lack of prerequisite knowledge does not mean that you lack talent in the area that you're pursuing. It really just means that you need to take a look at what you are struggling with and see if you can figure out a way to integrate that uh, area of knowledge to deal with the discomfort. Uh, funny enough, there is actually some educational theory that points to discomfort as one of the primary uh, areas in which uh, people learn. Like the integration of knowledge is basically uh, your brain attempting to overcome the dissonance caused by the new knowledge uh, that you are, you are learning. Which, at least in my view, is why some of us more experienced software engineers uh, tend to get a little set in our ways and unwilling to learn new things. Which is a subject for another podcast, perhaps. And as kind of a final concluding thought here, I'd point out that if your issue is more interest or that you just don't find yourself engaging with a college program or perhaps you're in a code academy or some other uh, situation right now. The reality of the field is that there is enough range and variance in different job types that perhaps you can look at entering the field in another way. 
I mentioned in an earlier podcast that, in my experience, the computer science program generally doesn't help front-end developers all that much. If you are somebody that wants to do things that are more artistic or more interactive as far as the industry goes, perhaps looking at a different program, one more featured on user experience, uh, perhaps a coding academy, perhaps a business degree. You know, you could kind of go and take a complete 180. I've actually known a few people that went into the industry from that direction and were fairly successful. The point being that really there are multiple avenues and approaches to take and do not get caught up with thinking you need to take a specific avenue when your interests or your ability might actually lie in a different one. And that will do it for this episode of The Zombie Coder. I hope that if you are somebody that currently finds themselves in whatever way, shape, or form in the uh, camel's second hump in a group of people or students, uh, that you find a, uh, a way out for yourself or find a way that you can actually achieve your goals. That's uh, what this is all about. Until next time, this is The Zombie Coder, out. Music provided by Audionautics. This podcast and others available at Stitcher.com or check out just this podcast at text.com.